0: This episode of the Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by Tufts Medical Center. Hello, experienced OR nurses. Tufts Medical Center is offering a $10,000 sign-on bonus for your expertise. Tufts OR is a fast-paced, high-acuity, level-one trauma center that performs the full scope of adult and pediatric surgical specialties. Join the world-class OR team at Tufts to enjoy growth and development in your professional practice while being rewarded for your experience. Visit tuftsnurses.com to learn more. That's tuftsnurses.com to learn more. And I thank Tufts Medical Center for their generous support of The Nurse Keith Show. Psychiatric nursing is a specialty that deserves so much more attention than it gets when it comes to the nurse's quality of life and potential career development. Let's talk all about it with adult psychiatric clinical nurse specialist, Stephanie Arnold, right here on episode 334 of The Nurse Keith Show hey there this is nurse keith this podcast is all about you your personal and professional development your career and the healthcare system as a whole and i'm here to share education ideas diatribes and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare nursing entrepreneurship medicine and beyond i love having you along for the ride whether you're new to the nurse keith nation or you've been with me for months or years Thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart. And speaking of nurse podcaster's hearts, I have a special request for 2021. I am asking 100 regular listeners of the show. That's right. 100 regular listeners of the show to pledge $2 a month for a year to help support the show. $2 times a hundred would go a long way towards helping me cover the costs of producing and advertising and getting this show out there to as many nurses as possible. You can always pledge more over at Patreon and get some cool gifts and premiums, but $2 a month would be awesome. So head over to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith to sign up and show your support for the show. And remember, you can always reach out to me at Keith at nursekeith.com for Holistic Career Coaching if you feel you need such or one of your colleagues or friends does. And if you mention the show, you get 10% off your first coaching package. And if you mention Stephanie Arnold, you'll get 15% off your first coaching package. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 334. And Stephanie Arnold, I am so glad you're here. You are so wonderful. We've had some great conversations prior to actually Hitting record today, and in your estimation, let's just kind of jump in. Why is psychiatric nursing so awesome?
1: Psychiatric nursing is an amazing profession. Uh, it's the best choice I I ever made in in my life. And nursing in general is kind of a spectacular profession because it's a get in where you fit in profession. Uh, but psychiatric nursing in particular has been amazing. There's been an amazing evolution of my career. Uh, and I'd like to kind of share that path with people so they can see maybe for themselves in the nursing sphere where they could go with it, should they have that interest.
0: Yeah, it's like that um, Dr. Seuss book for adults called, Oh, the Places You'll yeah. Go or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're like a Dr. Seuss character, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> no, wait, I just said that. You didn't say it. Um, anyway, <laughs> so, all right, let's talk about what this amazing journey has been like for you. How can you characterize for us the nature of this amazing journey you've taken in your career? What would you like to tell us?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I'll I'll start actually at the very beginning, why I went into nursing in the first place. Uh, And I won't go on the way, way back machine, but long story short, I'm a cancer survivor, right? I was diagnosed with malignant melanoma at age 19. Clearly I survived, I'm still here. But that was kind of the catalyzing force. I had this really strong internal drive to become a nurse after I went through that. And what I really wanted to do was help people with pain and fear. That was my motivation. And initially I thought, "Mm mm-hmm, I thought I would be in the ICU doing this, or I thought maybe I would be an oncology nurse. And it surprised me as a, as a nursing student, how much I loved psychiatric nursing, because that's what I was doing with people. I was helping people with pain and fear. Only I was doing it verbally. Right. And, and so that's where it took off. I kind of found that I was comfortable in that arena and that I was able to do these things with people that that I had a drive for, and then you know from there, my first job right out the gate was as a psychiatric nurse uh, at the RN level, um, and then it continued it continued on from there and evolved over time. Um, and I, I don't think that evolution is particular to psychiatric nursing. I think you can do it in in any flavor of nursing, um, but it, it's been quite a fun
0: ride. Wow! And did you ever? get the feeling like many nurses do, that choosing something not nursing, and I'm putting humongous quote marks around nursing, would, you know, hobble your career or be professional suicide, like I was told back in the day. Did you have any concerns about putting your stake in the ground in the psychiatric nursing mental health world?
1: It's a good question. I I knew you know I knew even then that psychiatric nursing is not the most popular flavor of nursing. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a pretty strong feeling that uh, I would be wherever I went pursuing psychiatric nursing, I would be needed and there would be jobs for me. Um, and so I, I actually thought that I would have um, more opportunities within that arena versus less. Now, when it comes to switching back to medical nursing, had that been something I wanted to do you know, medical, surgical stuff, I knew that I would have to probably do some retraining. Um, But once I entered, I've never left the field.
0: Yeah. So, right. Going back in to medical and or surgical, whatever, nursing, that that can be a little bit of a liability. And I hear you on that from my own perspective. Mm -hmm. But if you kind of know, if you know what you want and you know what lights you up, Mm -hmm. like I have a client I was talking to today who's been a nurse for five, six years. She's been in the OR most recently and she really wants to do research and people keep warning her, you know, about how, you know, you're never going to be able to go back to the bedside. she's like, well, but this is what I love. Like, this is where my heart really is taking me and where my brain is taking me. Mm -hmm. So your heart and brain took you into psychiatric mental health. Yes. And you've done, you've done a lot. You've You've done psych nursing through COVID. So there's that. We could take like 10 million hours to talk about that. Yeah. You've, you're a writer as yes. a side hustle. We'll talk yes. about that. And we'll talk about how you and I met. And you also do, at the moment, you do consultation psychiatric liaison work.
1: Yes, I do. As a
0: clinical nurse specialist. And you've yes. told me you're a dying breed. Yes. What, what does that mean that you're a dying breed? <laughs>
1: So in California, well, I mean, the, AN, the ANCC, not just in California, but the ANCC retired the credential, which is unfortunate. And, and I believe it was because of lack of interest in the program. There weren't enough students enrolling in these programs and getting certified as a psych CNS to maintain the credential. So I'm grandfathered in. Uh, and now oh. I think a lot of the the focus is now being a psychiatric nurse practitioner and a psychiatric nurse practitioner can do what a psych CNS does, right? Psych, psych NPs do mental health counseling, and they also do a lot of prescribing Uh for mental health uh, illnesses. The clinical nurse specialist focuses much more on being a clinical expert in the field and much,
0: much more on the mental health counseling side of things. Can you prescribe, can a CNS prescribe?
1: Not in California. Um, they were angling that way. Oh, So California, the BRN was angling that way uh, when I was getting my master's degree. And I even took course, the course requirements changed, requiring even CNSs to do some of the advanced work, the pathophysiology and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the prescribing and the the psychopharmacology that you would need to to be a furnisher in this state and then somehow that fell through and it never came to fruition which is also unfortunate
0: well thanks for clarifying that that it's state by state and you know when i i first entered a np program back in like 2002 or 2001 actually right around yeah it was this it was the september that 911 happened mm-hmm. um, i did drop out of that program cuz i realized it wasn't right um but some of my colleagues who came in with me were going the clinical nurse specialist route, mm-hmm. psychiatric mental health. And I always wondered, like, what happened to that credential? Because you don't hear it anymore. And now you've explained it. It's been it, and a I appreciate wonderful that.
1: career choice. And, and so, again, what's great about the nursing profession in general is that particularly when you go into the clinical arena, when you, when you get a master's degree in a clinical arena or greater. If you go on to a terminal degree, Mm -hmm. there is nothing you can't do. You -hmm. can be a clinical expert in the field. You can be an educator. You can be an administrator. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm really an advocate for when people are looking to advance their career. My general advice is go clinical, because even if you don't stay in the clinical arena, you Mm -hmm. have all the freedom to then move around from from that. You
0: mean in the psychiatric mental health world, go clinical?
1: Really or any, Mm -hmm. um, it in, so I'll give an example in my case, I, I have taught, I taught, uh, mental health nursing at UCLA to both graduate Mm -hmm. and undergraduate nurses. Uh, I've also done, I've been the, uh, you know, the teacher at the bedside teaching bedside, the clinicals, the clinical instructor teaching bedside psych nursing Mm. to these students, um, And that's what you can do. That's one of the benefits of clinical expertise is that you can go kind of this academic route. now the research route, you have to continue on to the terminal degree generally, either a DNP or a PhD.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah. Terminal degree always sounds funny to me, but I I get why (laughs) it's like, really? (laughs) I'm not studying death and dying, Um, (laughs) or maybe I am. Um, It's always a funny concept to me. It's like, you can't go any further. You've reached the terminal, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's like clinical nurse specialist to terminal B. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm punchy at the end of the day. Um, so the 21st century has presented a lot of different, uh, what would you say? I don't even know, paradigms for us to grapple with. Mm-hmm. I just mentioned 9-11, September sure. 11, 2001. That's kind of how we started the century in the millennium, right? Right. And now we have the COVID-19 pandemic. And you were doing disaster service work for site COVID response in the inpatient space. Yes. And I remember you and I were first introduced, and we'll talk about that later. And we were going to record, and then you ran off to do this disaster service work. So what do you feel, we'll get to the COVID stuff specifically, but... In terms of the 21st century, mm-hmm. what does pursuing psychiatric nursing mean now?
1: You know, so we see trauma. Trauma is is the face of COVID, and mm. you know, patients were traumatized, families are traumatized, clinicians were traumatized. It was very, very tough time. Um, it, it changed the paradigm shifted patient care the way everybody does patient care completely changed during covid yeah. in ICU um, everything changed even even in psych nursing everything changed so um, you can imagine you know some for psychiatric patients in an inpatient space it can be a, a scary experience at baseline and mm-hmm. then you add kind of the trauma of this pandemic to it and patients who might for example have Uh, paranoia as one of their symptoms having to face clinicians who are in head to toe gear. Right. So it actually, the paradigm shifted to be much more, much more caring and hands-on even with psychiatric patients. Hmm. So in the past, I'll I'll give a concrete example in the past, there was uh, kind of just this general knowledge that you, you don't put hands on a psychiatric patient very often, you don't shake hands a lot um, because touching can be misinterpreted by a patient who is not mentally well. There can be transference, right? And so generally that's avoided. And I found that that went right out the window during COVID. During the pandemic, when your patient is scared and they have clinicians who are you know, wrapped in layers of protective gear, um, I would ask the patients, are you scared? And if a patient said yes, I would say, would you like to hold my hand? And I would do walk-in talks with psychiatric patients holding their hands. And it, there, there wasn't a particular issue with transference. It was actually extremely helpful to be caring in that way. And I felt it really changed my perspective on, on the job, on the work, because I felt really touched and privileged to be able to be with these patients and to help in that way. Um, So it shifted. There was a shift there towards extra caring. And, you know, there's some, you've heard talks of moral injury. Yes. Right. Where for, for example, you know, in ICU, clinicians are having to hold up an iPad of, of a patient's family members so they can speak Mm. to the patient if they're potentially, you know, dying and, and how wounding this was for clinicians to have to provide care in this way. Um, I find that in, in psych nursing, um, having this shift in paradigm towards being a little bit more caring um, helped me as a clinician during the pandemic, hmm. during this hard time.
0: Thanks for sharing that. And do you feel it helped you? What would be the right word, like psychically or oh, psycho emotionally or spiritually? Absolutely. To be able to, to, be able to have
1: gratitude. Yes. Mm-hmm. To be able to have gratitude during you know, a terrible pandemic and to be thankful for what you can do um, during a very stressful time for clinicians um, helped me enormously.
0: Wow. That's, that's a real testament to what we've been through. Yeah. And what you've been through in your patients and you're right. The paradigms, um, the paradigm shift, the sea Mm -hmm. change that mm-hmm. you're tapping into and you're sharing with us here. And I just want to ask just on a, on a biographical level, how long have you been a nurse?
1: Uh, 2006. So it's been 15 years,
0: 15 years. And I know you had an undergrad degree in Celtic studies from yes. UC Berkeley. Yes. And then your MSN was Cal state Los Angeles. Correct. And you're also in a DNP program at university of Alabama. Yes, I am. Yeah, and is your DNP work? Um, is it based around trauma? Like, are you going in that direction? What What is the attraction of that? Like, we just talked about a terminal degree. Like, what would you like to do with that, especially in relation to what you've just been talking about?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So the DNP is a clinical doctorate that really is expanding your expertise in the clinical arena. And I think the role that there's a lot of confusion over roles. Why would someone do a DNP versus a PhD? What's the difference Mm -hmm. for someone with a DNP? What you're going to be doing in a clinical setting, at least generally is, uh, finding, you know, guidelines, national guidelines, gold standard recommendations and implementing programs in your setting to make those recommendations come to fruition where you are. Um, So it's a lot of quality improvement. It's a lot of project, uh, large scope project work in clinical settings. There can also be focus on leadership, um, but Mm -hmm. it's really kind of a more narrow clinical focus where a PhD is where you're getting into, you know, big time academia, where you're learning um, kind of the bones of how to create a successful research project. Uh, I see and grant writing and uh, and it's amazing you know and, and a lot of some people do both Some people do the yeah. DNP PhD route.
0: They do double terminal degree which yeah. is way beyond my can <laughs> to even
1: think about. And so uh, to answer your question though for me uh, my, what I hope to do my, my um, project for the DNP is to look at compassion fatigue in, in county safety networkers. Uh, and County I think the,
0: safety net workers.
1: Yeah. So my hospital, uh, Harbor UCLA Medical Center, is mm-hmm. a safety net hospital. Um, and I want to look at compassion fatigue in clinicians in this hospital. And I think uh, the pandemic is, is also going to create a shift. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I once had baseline data on levels of compassion fatigue, now it's going to be different. So I hope to, in the near future hop back in, get a new baseline, see what levels of compassion fatigue and burnout are like, and then do something about it to help clinicians, particularly after this pandemic.
0: Wow, beautiful. Okay, so this does tie for me directly back to what you were sharing before this line of conversation Mm -hmm. about connecting more deeply with patients and being able to or making the choice to touch them, to offer mm-hmm. touch, mm-hmm. whereas before that was kind of verboten, right? Mm-hmm. And you also touched on the fact that this has been helpful for you, psychically, spiritually, mm-hmm. psycho-emotionally, to be able to provide care in a different way. Mm-hmm. So Even
1: being on a psych COVID unit is a completely different kind of care. So at Harbor, they created right. a psych... COVID unit. We, we took some of the smallest units in psychiatry and converted them. Um, and there's a reason that we did that. They, they rather expertly uh, converted these units so that we could prevent spread of COVID to other patients. Because in, in inpatient psych, these are ambulatory patients. They're not mm-hmm. confined to a bed generally. They're up and they're mobile and they're walking about. I don't know if you heard the news report um, out of South Korea, there was an inpatient psych unit Right when uh, COVID was taking off there and the entire inpatient unit in South Korea converted positive COVID, something wow. like 200 patients.
0: I did not hear that story.
1: Right, because these, these are ambulatory patients in open units, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a huge risk to patients. And so this was a new frontier for me.
0: Yeah. Wow. So you were working on a, a covid positive psych unit and a psyche ER are during that period Correct. wow okay so we're going to take a break and i want to talk about how we met and the, sure. the context in which we connected and also the novel way that course material that you're writing is being presented by the organization that brought us together. Sure. And also, you know, writing as a side hustle and what that means for you and for me and where your sources come from and, you know, what, how you see that fitting into your career and whatever else comes up because there's so many things to talk about. So, If you don't mind, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back for the second half of episode 334 of the Nurse Keith Show. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. I have an important message from our generous sponsors at Tufts Medical Center, which I'll add parenthetically is located in the glorious city of Boston, Massachusetts, where a number of my beloved family members and dear friends and admittedly a piece of my heart happily reside. Tufts is a world-class healthcare organization with world-class nurses. Tufts is growing and they're looking for excellent nurses to be a part of their future. You'll find rewarding nursing opportunities in many advanced care settings, such as critical care, Med Surge and OR, where you can practice alongside other expert professional nurses. Not only is Tufts MC one of the nation's most prominent academic medical centers, it's also a place where your voice as a nurse will be heard and appreciated. Isn't it time to bring your expertise to Tufts Medical Center, where you'll be valued for your input and respected for your knowledge? Nurse recruiters are waiting to talk to you about their immediate openings in critical care, med surge, and OR. Visit tuftsnurses.com to get started. That's tuftsnurses.com to take your nursing career to the highest level. And I thank Tufts Medical Center for their generous support of The Nurse Keith Show. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much that they're willing to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. And now in 2021, I am making a special request for 100 regular listeners, that's you, to pledge $2 a month for a year to help support the show and keep things moving along. $2 a month is less than buying me a cup of coffee every month. And you're going to get some great audio awesomeness in return for your generous support. So head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith to show your support for the Nurse Keith show. And finally, if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them and if they become a paying client you receive credit for an hour of coaching with me and there's no expiration date on that credit so you can keep it in your proverbial back pocket until you need it most and remember you can refer as many people as you like and continue to accrue those coaching credits which i think is an amazing deal those are my sincere asks of you And I want to thank once again Tufts Medical Center for their generous support. So now let's dig back into today's topic. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Please remember the show notes are located at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode in a 334, where you can learn all about my guest and new friend of the pod and my new friend, Stephanie Arnold. So, Stephanie, Prior to the break, gosh, we were talking about so many things, the sea change that we've Mm -hmm. undergone since COVID and the ways in which you saw your work change Mm -hmm. and the paradigm shift that's happening in psychiatric nursing specifically. And we talked about terminal degrees and all that kind of stuff and what can be done with a psychiatric nursing background Mm -hmm. and higher degree. So. For a second, let's just touch on where we met. So I was contacted by someone at Symptom Media. Can mm-hmm. you explain what Symptom Media
1: is? Sure. So Symptom Media is uh, a company that creates basically continuing education material through a streaming video medium, um, which is... Amazing, and it's particularly amazing for mental health uh, teaching exercises. And I'll, I'll explain why. Why is that? So, for example, when I was a, a student nurse, um, when you first go into a psychiatric rotation, there may be many presentations and illnesses you are completely unfamiliar with, um, and, and they can be quite scary. So to have Mm -hmm. almost a simulation, to have a visual in front of you showing you, for example, symptoms of schizophrenia or catatonia, um, there are some forms of catatonia that clinicians might only see once every 10 years. So to be able to Mm -hmm. have like a spectacular representation of what you can see put right in front of you, it's an incredible learning experience. And I wish so much that I had had something like that uh, when I was a student and I know I know that would have helped many in my cohort and even of students I've taught in the past. Um, It's it's a really cool idea.
0: It is a cool idea. And I was really struck by it because Andrew Rubin from Symptom Media reached out to me and we were looking at ways in which we could partner. And he wanted me just to check out some of the courses. So I watched, well, I actually took a bunch of the psychiatric well, they're all yes. psychiatric. I took a bunch of the courses. And how it, how it struck me is that you have the clinician explaining, kind of lecturing about what is happening. Mm-hmm. And then you actually have interactions filmed between the clinician and an actor. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I mean, the actors that Symptom Media uses to represent catatonia paranoid schizophrenia are amazing. Yes, amazing, I mean, <laughs> they're absolutely incredible. And I was so struck by the authenticity of their responses mm-hmm. and the ways in which they understood how this particular condition manifests. Mm-hmm. And when I watched various clinicians' lectures and also their interactions with the, the actor patients, you were like, I was just blown away by you. Well, thanks
1: so much. And, That's really good.
0: And I told Andrew, like, man, I really want to talk to her because she is so incredible. I'm really passionate
1: so, about what I do and about mental health, nursing, and and you know, mental illness.
0: Yeah. And it shows. I mean, you and I have had conversations and it also shows in the work you do with symptom media and the way you explain it and the way you interact with the actor patients. Mm-hmm. And it's a really incredible idea. And you probably wish you'd come up with it.
1: <laughs> I do. I absolutely wish I had come up with it. And you know what else is interesting? Uh, think about the pandemic and and what asynchronous learning means for I mean, an entire national cohort of nursing students who had their clinicals dwindle. So, I this the the pandemic really negatively impacted. Um, I'm sure nurses, physicians, social workers, ancillary, you know, healthcare students, mm-hmm. uh, because opportunities for doing their clinical learning in the clinical setting just in some cases evaporated. Absolutely. And so being able to have this kind of asynchronous learning and simulation style learning uh, it's, it's novel and it's cool uh, and it's just in time. It's just what people need. And also for working, for working clinicians who are furthering their career. Um, you, you know, if you need to, if you need to learn about schizophrenia in the evening, this is a great way to do it.
0: That's very true. And Let's just clarify something. I know what asynchronous and synchronous learning means. You know what it means. So can Mm -hmm. you explain synchronous and asynchronous in case there's someone listening who's like, what does that mean exactly?
1: Sure. So synchronous learning is where you're doing learning, for example, in a classroom setting or even online, but at a a prescribed time. So you're there with your instructor, uh, usually not necessarily one-on-one, but classroom instructor at a set time. Uh, asynchronous learning is when you can do your learning on your own time, uh, whenever you'd like. And it's generally online, although it can be with written materials as well.
0: Yeah. Right. Thank you for explaining it so clearly. And there's a lot of asynchronous learning now, like Mm -hmm. self-paced RN to BSN programs where you take the courses as you want to. And there's some schools where you can take course after course after course, and kind of like blaze through a program really quickly, or it can go really slow for let's say a working mom who sure. can only take one course every, you know, every semester at best, right? So yeah. asynchronous learning is really helpful for people who have lives that are complex and they have a lot of responsibilities. Yep. So Symptom Media offers this sort of asynchronous learning where you're not simply watching a lecture and then taking a post-test to get your, your, your CEU. You're actually watching a lecture and then interspersed with that are the actual conversations between the clinician and the actor. And I want to ask you a question about that. Sure. What is it like working with the actors? How is it, like, what is it like when you're in the room with them and they're in character
1: Sure. I think that this would be probably a better question for Andrew Rubin. Um, <laughs> but from, from my conversations with Andrew, they are really spectacular. They are really spectacular actors. Uh, and I don't know, I know that a lot of the material is being written by clinicians. So they're, they're, it's a wealth of knowledge and sometimes even a lifetime's worth of career knowledge going into framing those scenes. Um, and the actors do tend to pull them off spectacularly. Um, yeah. I've been, I've been equally impressed.
0: Yeah. And when you're in it with them, I just want to understand from just from watching, because it's fascinating mm-hmm. when you're in it with them, do you sort of sink into, you forget they're actors and you're just doing your thing as a clinician? Totally. Yeah. You yeah. really get there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. It must be an interesting experience because you're not an actor, right? And no. or are you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> is this the new frontier for Wait, nursing? Are you? <laughs> no, I'm no. not an actor. Okay. No, but um yeah, and in in fact, just even doing the kind of lecture material for symptom media um is, is genuine teaching. So this is genuine clinical expertise going into it.
0: It's mm, amazing. So this is a side hustle for you doing yeah. the stuff with symptom media and you're, it, it's, it's so instructive and so novel, like we said, and, and it's really cool. It's just a really cool model. And I hope that symptom media really catches on. And I hope this I episode of the show helps bring more people there. And you also write as a side hustle, like I do.
1: Yes.
0: Do you write about clinical stuff? Or are you writing more research oriented stuff? Like where, where do you find your writing takes you in your career? Sure.
1: So this is interesting. So this was also something that, that I stumbled into. Um, LinkedIn had a big part of it and Twitter had a big part of it. Um, so I, I write for a kind of rational preparedness website called the Prepared uh, and it was all, it began as me curating COVID material because on Twitter, for example, I had never had a Twitter account. I, I created Twitter, my Twitter account in January, I think of 2020, because I was desperate to get my hands on relevant material for COVID. I had yeah. seen in December that something was going on in Wuhan and I was trying to understand it. And it turned out that Twitter was the fastest source of information, uh-huh. but you're awesome you're hit with a deluge of information. It's difficult to know what is disinformation, what is real, what's generalizable, what's not. Mm -hmm. And so I began just reposting things that I felt I was kind of, there's a lot of noise. And so what I did was pick the salient information out of the noise and boost signal boost what was salient. And so um, that's how for, for that particular form of health writing, where I'm, basically curating COVID news, they found me. Um, And the Mm -hmm. same with symptom media, symptom media, Andrew found me uh, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been enormously helpful for me. Uh, So he shot me a message and said, oh, I see your interests and your credentials and what you do, you know, would you be interested in this? And I said, oh, I just happened to have, I had just completed a video course on therapeutic communication. And so I was able to share that through LinkedIn. Oh, here, take a look at this. Maybe this is relevant. And then, and that's how that bloomed. So wow. it was really positive social media experiences.
0: Can you repeat that? Positive social media experiences. Positive
1: social media experiences.
0: Yes. <laughs> I didn't pay you to say all this. No. But you are an example of someone who has leveraged social media, specifically Twitter and LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, actually, I call it, and many other people call it, it's a search engine disguised as social media. It's really about finding people and being found, really. That's what it's really about. And you've leveraged it.
1: And, the, and it did a spectacular job because he actually, he was able to use LinkedIn to find someone who matched what they needed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, um, and it was it was a surprise to me, um, really serendipitous, and I'm I'm really glad for it.
0: Yeah, and and just imagine if you had a bare bones profile like so many people do, without a photo and without a mm-hmm. without any real information with anything that would tell someone exactly, you know, what all your expertise was and why you're so good at what you do and why you're worthy of someone reaching out to and saying, Hey, let's, let's chat. Right. So if -hmm. you don't have that presence, then your stake isn't in the ground there, digitally speaking, and those opportunities aren't going to come along.
1: Sure. And I know a lot of students say, why do I need, you know, why should I make this? Why should I invest time in doing Mm -hmm. this? And it's absolutely worth it.
0: Yeah. And, and you're right that you characterized Twitter and LinkedIn, anywhere you go online like that, there's a lot of noise and mm-hmm. you have to filter it out. And once you learn how to do that and you find your people, you find your tribe, you find the groups and the conversations that are happening and you tune into to the, the streams of conversation, the threads that mean something to you that you've identified as valuable, you just don't know what's gonna happen and look what's happened for you, mm-hmm. right? So in the end, you could say that LinkedIn caused you and I to meet because if Andrew hadn't have found you, yes. I think he probably found me through LinkedIn too, he, that these connections would never have happened. And my, that's just how my life works basically these days.
1: Oh, totally. It's, it's all about connection and, and networking. And yeah. And it's also interesting to me that nursing made me a writer.
0: Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It made me one too. Um, by... I, gosh, I've told the story too many times on this show, but I kind of fell into it. I, I kind of stumbled, like you used the word stumble earlier. Yep, I've stumbled yep. into all sorts of things like podcasting and it just, these things kind of happen. And when you put yourself out in the world as a professional and you take risks and you talk to people and reach out and you reach back when people reach out to you and you have a presence out there in the world, these sorts of things have more of a tendency to happen than not, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a potential for really positive stuff. Um, you know, I, I, yeah,
0: there is.
1: Even especially with COVID, helping people understand what was salient with COVID. I, I mm-hmm. you know, I can't put an actual finger on the number, but I, I estimate that I've helped hundreds to thousands of people get properly informed and probably vaccinated. Um, And that means something to me because, oh, you know, again, I want, I really desperately want to help people in these situations. So I have that burning drive, but this is positive outcomes here.
0: Yeah, it is it, very positive outcomes. And if, if you heard my interview with my friend, Jana Thomason, not that long ago, the Enneagram nurse, you're probably uh-huh. an Enneagram type two, <laughs> like me, the helper. Yes. Um, <laughs> They were the kind of people who do these sorts of things, right? Yeah. Um, so in the end, it seems like all of this work you've been doing and are doing and will do all ties together into this, mm-hmm. this umbrella of, well, one is helping people, being of service, I guess we could say, right? And your love of, well, I'm putting words in your mouth, but this this perceived love of interacting with people. Yes. Like you're not, you're not the kind of nurse who wants to be very procedural. You want to be relational. Is that true?
1: Oh, it's all about talking to people. It is my modus operandi.
0: Mm-hmm. And tell me more about that. So what does that really mean to you when it comes to, that relational aspect of the work you do and why it's so important to you?
1: Well, connection, connection is one thing. I mean, you can look at that through a couple different lenses. Um, I think you can even look, you can look at the ability to have this back and forth um, as an almost diagnostic lens. Like for example, if I'm working with a patient, a patient's ability to have this back and forth with me Is informative to me and it lets me know how well they're doing, where they are on their trajectory of mental health or mental illness. Um, But I think connecting with people in this way also has a lot of personal meaning to me. And it's part of that drive and kind of compassion, satisfaction. It's what helps keep me resilient in, in the face of all these big things that are happening in the world.
0: Compassion, satisfaction. Yes. Tell me more about that. So compa-
1: compassion satisfaction is when you get meaning uh, out of your work. And it's really kind of the polar opposite of compassion fatigue where people oh. are getting burned out by what they do. Um, so c- you find a lot of compassion satisfaction in clinicians who are resilient to stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's something you want to build on you know, in a workforce who is str- that is struggling, for example. You want to help people find meaning.
0: Compassion, satisfaction. I've never heard that term before, I don't think. Um, Or if I did, I didn't notice it.
1: And, you know, I see a lot of resiliency in mental health clinicians. And I, Mm -hmm. I, I wonder if this back and forth that we're talking about, this connection with people, isn't part of that.
0: It could very well be. And that would be an interesting research question, wouldn't it? that would be a fascinating research question. Uh, you know, I need to introduce you to my friend, Caroline Cardinus. I don't know if you heard her interview on my show. And she's Not doing yet. her um, she's doing her PhD in somatic psychology at Meridian University. And she was in San Diego now. She's living in Kauai now. And I hope to visit her and her husband this coming winter. Just cool. saying, Caroline, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but she's coming from the place of having been an oncology nurse and lost her mother to to breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And Caroline was only, I think, 19 when her mom died. So she is coming to it through oncology and addressing compassion fatigue through play. And her research sure. is about the power and science of play. So it's just a different side of the ways in which you can or a different lens through which you can approach compassion fatigue. And I think she would love talking with you about this compassion, satisfaction, compassion fatigue piece. Oh, because absolutely. She just finished her research and the active research and your literature review sounds like it was very comprehensive and would be very important to people who want to know the, the latest that's out there. Don't you think?
1: Absolutely. You know, I just wrote a small article on um, anticipating compassion fatigue and pandemic weary nurses, and it's on oh. freshrn.com. And it actually, oh, it I discuss compassion satisfaction. It's, it's just a brief article, but you might find it interesting and informative um, right on the on same topic.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. You're over at FreshRN. That's great. And what do you hope will come of your dissertation? what do you feel this particular piece will add to the body of literature out there? Like what's your greatest aspiration for it?
1: Sure. I think what's most compelling about my particular work, um, Mm -hmm. if I I happen to finish it the way I want to, is Mm -hmm. that it's interdisciplinary. And I wanted to look at uh, healthcare workers who are often excluded—you know—you uh, see a lot of compassion fatigue in people who experience trauma and gore. Uh, what? What hmm. about the environmental service workers and janitors who clean up gore? Thank has anyone, you. Has anyone ever asked our EVS workers, our janitors, if they're experiencing compassion fatigue? So it mm-hmm. we. We really want to look at a broad group of healthcare workers uh, and, and not have blinders on when it comes to looking for compassion fatigue. And I think that's the most compelling thing uh, that I'm doing. Now, addressing compassion fatigue is a whole different issue. I honestly feel that the best way to address compassion fatigue in pandemic weary healthcare workers is to give them some time off. The mm-hmm. NHS did this in England. They gave the the rule was after the pandemic, on your birthday, you get a day off. Mm-hmm whenever that happens, that's a beautiful thing to do to help mm-hmm. people, you know, recoup from this pandemic. Um, but that's an extremely difficult thing to do in, uh, a safety net hospital.
0: No so kidding. Right.
1: We'll see. We'll see. I think, you know, play is an interesting Avenue. I have to be really, uh, I have to be flexible in in my, my approach to how I address this. Cause one thing we know is that making people making people take, you know, a, a mandatory training on compassion fatigue is not going to help lessen compassion fatigue.
0: Hmm. So finding yeah, the
1: it, finding the workable intervention is
0: the hard part. You're you're right. And if Caroline was listening right now or if she was on the line with us, she'd be like, yeah, and when they take that day off, how are they going to spend that time? Are they going to engage in the aspects of play that really will cause them to really let go and really let loose and allow themselves to be in a place free from time for instance mm-hmm. right where they can disengage from their left brain and get into the right brain so there's all sorts of interventions and and you both are exploring these very interesting unique and important aspects of what what this means and how we how do we help people cope and recover? And how do we build resiliency for next time? Because <laughs> this isn't the last pandemic we're ever going to experience. And it's not the last disaster we're ever going to experience.
1: No, and and burnout is a revolving door because if people if you have non-retirement turnover and nurses are leaving the profession, people are they retiring, are. but we're also having non-retirement turnover in the profession in general during the pandemic. When when people leave, you have, especially when senior experienced staff leave, then what's left behind are the less experienced staff who are now tasked with the uh, difficult burdens of keeping up the level of patient care, but also training more staff to replace the ones who left. And you have less experienced staff doing this, and that creates burnout for them right? Which can increase non-retirement turnover for those nurses. So it's this horrible revolving door. So it's definitely mm. important for people to want to address compassion fatigue in in their settings.
0: Yeah. So something has to be done. Yes. And there is a new interest and maybe m- might you use the word urgency? Sure. Absolutely. About doing something. We need to do something. And some things are happening and your research is going to feed into that larger body of literature that's going to inform yes. maybe what's happening over this next i don't know generation right
1: yep yep there's a there is a turn towards wellness uh, but it it's difficult to you know in nursing in healthcare it is sometimes a traumatic profession and mm-hmm. and So trauma is a consequence sometimes of what we do.
0: It is. And I love that you brought in environmental service workers Mm -hmm. because we think about, okay, the the nurses and respiratory therapists in the COVID unit are trying to save a patient, Mm -hmm. right? And the patient dies and they were there with, the iPad and the the family were saying goodbye and crying and, you know, all that trauma. And then when that patient dies, they, they, you know, do what they need to do to lay out the body, et cetera. And then they doff all of their PPE and they leave the room. And do we really think about, and thank you for bringing this to our attention today, the environmental service workers who then come in Mm -hmm. risking their lives as well, Mm And they clean up the, the flotsam and jetsam of that attempt to save this person right. or who comes into the ER to the bay where someone just died and there's, there's blood and stuff everywhere. And, and you know, not to say the nurses and doctors should be cleaning it up, that they have to move on to the next patient, but we have to think about the chain of events that happens around a traumatic event, don't we? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and i appreciate you bringing that in and we have to think about everybody there's so many people affected and you're doing really beautiful important salient to use that word you used earlier work that is so timely and tuned into what's happening all around you right now Mm -hmm. in this very moment Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah it's it's an important time to do this Mm -hmm.
0: So before we close, and I really don't want to, but what are some of your hopes for your own career? Like, what are some of the things you would like to see yourself accomplish in the, let's say the decades to come? Do you have your sights on a couple things?
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, writing, <laughs> writing is something I was always afraid of and I don't know mm. why. Um, nursing has made me relatively good at it. Um, and, and I'd like to see where that goes. Um, I, I would like to, I want to continue in my clinical liaison work, which is another kind of, uh, flavor of, of psych nursing that many people might not even know about. Um, but that's been, that's been really meaningful to me and, and that will continue. I hope to teach again in the future. Um, it's I'm, I'm floored by all the opportunities I've already had. It's Hmm. really amazing to me. Um, And I'm thankful too. And I also feel just personally, I I want to give back to my profession. I want to give back to the profession that has given me the life that I have.
0: Um, That's a beautiful statement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I would like to see,
1: I would like to make more psych nurses, I would like more people to go into psych nursing because it's a wonderful quality of life for the clinician. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know that people know that and they should.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're, you know, elucidating that. And before we really do go, I just want to ask, can you very quickly tell us what a psych liaison is? Like, What does that mean? Sure.
1: Sure. So, uh, a psychiatric clinical liaison nurse, and this can be done at either the RN level or at the advanced practice level, generally uh, consults on unit medical units on patients who have concomitant mental health needs. So, for I example, see. if someone has mania and they're in a car accident, right, and they're in traction on ortho, but they're still floridly manic and they mm-hmm. need to be managed you go up and you help either by doing bedside counseling with that patient or by doing liaison work with the primary team and the nurses to help manage the behavior of the patient
0: i um, see that's what i figured but i wanted you to explain it and yeah. that that you know that speaks to i don't know i might be going out on a limb here but that liaison work that coming in as a as an outside agent in a way and mm-hmm. in, in kind of bringing yourself into a situation and helping ease and helping smooth the ruffled energy that's happening to help mm-hmm. the patient, to consult with the team, mm-hmm. to assuage the concerns of the team because yes. they might not really have the clinical acumen and can to understand what do we do with this floridly Manic person who's in traction after right. this accident, right? Right, right. So this feeds back into what you and I were talking about earlier about your desire to serve and your desire to to connect yes. and being a liaison is like, I mean, you're a conduit. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, and it's it's really special, you know, both to work with patients, but also to work uh, with staff and to be able to meet people and connect with staff and and help them. Uh, and and you're easing you're easing anxiety with teams as well, the teams yeah. who are working with this patient so yeah. it, it's pretty it's pretty neat
0: yeah I, I I just had this image. I get these images sometimes it's not I'm not like I'm psychic or something it's just these things flash to me and and i I see you as this this um and you got to bear with me here I see you as this this beacon in a way and you have all this light to, to share with others and you bring it into that kind of medical space and then you bring it into the educational space and then you're bringing it into writing and all these other places where, you, where you're doing your work and now research and going for that terminal degree and wanting to bring some of what you've, you've experienced and perceived to the body of literature So you're, you're, you're having this, this very pervasive, this ability to be this pervasive presence, pervasive Mm -hmm. in a good way, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to bring your expertise to so many different places. And I'm wondering how satisfying is that to be able to have impact on so many different levels?
1: It's neat. It it is just amazing to me how it's kind of all coming together and almost sinking right Hmm. now. Um, but I think that's, you know, people talk about flow. That's what happens when you get into flow.
0: That's great. That's great. And you're in it right now in your career, kind of in the big picture. And you're also a mom, right?
1: Yes, I am. I have three kids.
0: Yeah. So you've got the the home life as well. And you're a (laughs) You're a multi-dimensional person with, you know, you've got children and a family life, and then your clinical life, and then you've got your writing, and then you've got your PhD. So, you know, I, I guess you just kind of sit around eating bonbons most of the time because you don't yeah. you're not doing a whole lot. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I'm I'm a project-oriented person, and I I joke mm-hmm. with people that having a project to work mm-hmm. towards is my self-care.
0: Great. Can I call you on that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yes. That's beautiful. I love that. Having a project to work on is my self-care. If that works for you, I mean, whatever gets you through the night, right? Yeah. That's, that's what you have to do. And man, I wish we could talk for another hour or two, because there's so much more. And we'll circle back at some point later this year or next year and have you back. And be great. maybe, oh, maybe we should come back when your dissertation is done.
1: That would so be amazing. Let
0: me light a fire under you and let's do that in 2020. Sure. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is a really neat opportunity uh, and it's it's great to work with you too.
0: Oh, thanks, Stephanie. This is great. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this awesome episode of the Nurse Keith Show that I really didn't want to end. And the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 334. And I hope you feel uplifted and empowered and inspired from this episode and take some inspired action in the interest of your personal and professional development, whatever that looks like to you. And if you need personalized, holistic career coaching, shoot me an email at keith at nursekeith.com mention Stephanie Arnold and you'll get 15% off your first coaching package. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. $2 a month for a year would be really amazing. And if you could do that, I would just, I would get down on my knees and thank you. It would be a real privilege if you would support the show. The Nurse Keith Show, speaking of privileges, is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com, one of the largest and fastest growing collections of authoritative, high quality podcasts about health healthcare and medicine anywhere in the world on the internet or elsewhere and the Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster I'm grateful to Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction because who knows what would happen if they weren't around be well dig deep seek joy keep in touch this is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico and my friend and friend of the pod Steph Stephanie Arnold bidding you adieu from Redondo Beach, California. Redondo Beach. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thanks for everyone for being here. And we will catch you on the flip side.